1: Warning, this podcast may contain bad language and content that some listeners may find offensive,
0: particularly if your fashion sense is diabolical. T? <laughs> Firstly, just because I'm in a muumuu doesn't mean I have poor sense of fashion. How do you know I wasn't just bringing you in? I mean, you took it.
1: <laughs> because as you I were was t-
0: insulting your fashion sense. You're, you're a... And then you brought up the <laughs> muumuu, so you know what you're wearing isn't cool. You are passive-aggressive fucked on. <laughs> I don't know you too well. I was merely bringing you in on a on a sweet intro, bro, and you took it the wrong way. I know I did. I apologise. How's your... Uh, are you, wait, just to be clear, are you apologising to me or to that moo? <laughs> it's a Lily-Tins What What's there to apologise for? Welcome to Seesaw Podcast with T and Cleve. Each week, open up a blind perspective on life. Hello and welcome to another fancy episode of Seesaw, featuring your favourite UK-based blind duo, T and Cleve Sucks. I'm not blind anymore. I'm no longer registered blind, I'm registered severely sight impaired. Yeah, that's a weird thing that's happened. I, I don't get it. Really? Not that's to call me blind, you ableist, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking ableism. So, Cleves, how are you? I'm alright, mate. How are things with you? Pretty good. It's been a while since we fired up the mic. Hmm. Pulled but, the cord on the petrol motor. Burned something down. But we're back. And, and a little rusty, it seems. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we always used to do it week by week, and now we don't. So, this week we have another fantastic guest who have been trying to get for a while. Two of them. The two BBs, Blind Brothers, Bradford and Brianford. That's not their names. Well, Almost mostly right. But we're going to be chatting to them about everything that is being an entrepreneur as a visually impaired or severely sight impaired individual. And they've made a real good success of it as well. Well, this is what we're about now. People that are empowering to blind people. I've just noticed that after your fashion slur at the beginning, you've turned your hat backwards. It's MC not backwards. Hammer. Oh yeah, it's
1: backwards. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Great fashion sense. You can't touch this.
0: Okay, let's jump straight into that interview. We are joined by Brad and Brian, the two blind brothers. Hey guys. Hey there. Hey. It's amazing to have you both. Like, it's been, uh, we've wanted you for ages, but... Busy, busy men, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But of course, before we we start, if you wouldn't mind sort of like going over your, your sight conditions and where you are with things at the moment.
2: Sure, that sounds good. So this, if you can't tell by the beautiful timbre of my voice compared to Brian, I am, Brad, the older brother of the two blind brothers. Um, but because I'm the older brother, I guess I'll go first. Brian and I, we have an eye condition called Stargardt's disease. It's a juvenile form of macular degeneration where you lose your center vision over time. We were diagnosed, uh, had symptoms around the age of five, diagnosed around the age of seven. Uh, you know, the really quick background is, you know, we were very fortunate to have great parents that led us to good academic careers, good work careers. And about six years ago, we decided to start a clothing brand called Two Blind Brothers with the goal of trying to make some of the softest clothing in the world and helping the Foundation Fighting Blindness, um, which funds all the preclinical research for eye disease, because uh, that's an organization we've always been very close to. We found the, the, the innovations happening in the medical field to be really inspiring. I took all the good stuff. So now I'm curious what Brian will say
3: just gonna kind of make fun of you relentlessly for as long as we're on here uh and really just make it a living hell for everyone no uh it's we uh you know you know we've been running this project or you know we been running this project for about six years now having the absolute time of our lives you know one of the best things that we actually get to do is interact with the community and and talk to folks when brad and i were growing up there we really didn't meet Another person with the disease we had. I don't think I met anybody else with Stargardt's except for Brad. Or frankly, any vision condition. Uh, now I think I've maybe met every person with Stargardt's in the U.S. because of t- <laughs> because of TBD and which is amazing because you get to hear their stories you get to take inspiration from them you know and you and you get to find these like moments of empowerment with these other folks that that, that you wouldn't otherwise find and so it makes our makes part of this project you know kind of that third pillar of community feel so special and important to us
1: on that was there a particular moment where you both decided yeah we want to start a clothing brand was there a particular event that happened or was it just something that you've been talking about for a while
3: yeah, the luxury car market seemed a little tough to get into. Uh, so we, you know, and and without being able to see to drive, felt a little disingenuous. Well, we no, it actually so. Cars. That's true. But Brad and I are not that smart. Uh, that, is a, that is a project for someone else. So it's funny. Brad and I have always had, you know, entrepreneurial ambitions. I, you know, I think we had a seashell stand when we were, call it 12 years old and we did a micro budget film and we just kind of always have have been doing fun projects together. And, you know, six or six or so years ago, we were actually talking about kind of the medical revolution we're in for the iSpace. space. I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners know, but you know, a lot of these diseases are on the five yard line of being cured. And and we think in the next 10, 15 years that that a lot of them are going to get knocked down like dominoes And and we were talking about labor's congenital amaurosis LCA that actually has a treatment for a specific variant where kids go from reading Braille to reading print, which is as close to magic as humanly possible. And this drug was kind of going through the FDA at that time. We went into a, a Bloomingdale's of all places while we're talking about this. We were living in New York. And we shop and we lost each other basically immediately. Bad eyesight, big store, a lot of things in the way, very little chance that we stay with each other. And when we walked out about 45 minutes later, we had bought the exact same shirt which was unbelievable to tens of thousands of garments here dying, laughing outside. We said, how is this possible? And then we, we kind of were thinking like, Hey, when I go in the store, I have to feel every piece of clothing. Like I have to touch it. I have to feel it because seeing the prices, the sizes, the labels, the colors is just a huge pain. And so before, before doing all that, I have to be like, Oh, I'm going to actually like wearing this thing. And we just happened to strike upon this soft shirt and we said, ah, Maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something to this idea of like experiencing the world through your hands or experience the world through touch. And that's kind of when we decided to take a swing at starting our own clothing brand. And that's when Two Blind Brothers was born to make the best fitting and feeling clothing in the world and donate 100% of the profits back to retinal researchers working on finding these cures we believed in so much.
0: That's amazing. And I can completely get the whole like touch means everything. Because the amount of times I'm out with my wife, she goes, "Oh, this is really nice shirt or really nice jumper," and then I touch it, and go, "Absolutely not!" And she's like, "Why?" <laughs> and so i "I don't want to touch it. Like, I don't want that on my skin. <laughs> I don't care how good it looks. Like, it doesn't feel good to me. So I'm not. I'm not going to wear it."
1: <laughs> so let's say you've got this idea. How did you? How did you fund it? What were? The, what were your first steps, and how did you get behind that?
2: So we basically kind of started the initial steps just on our own. We had a we had a friend, we had a, actually a few different friends um, that worked in fashion in New York City, um, one of which happened to do consulting for small, like new designers. And so she was like, well, here are the steps. And we're like, okay. And she kind of helped guide us a little bit. But we were lucky because being in New York City, despite most of it moving overseas, there is still a a garment district here. It's mostly used for like sampling and very small runs or just uh, production for people who just part of their brand is to make it in New York City. So we paired up with one of these um, factories here. We made a couple samples. Um, You know, we created a uh, website that was terrible. Um, (laughs) And it was awful. um, It was the worst
3: thing you've ever seen. It was a dumpster fire. Brad made it too, which I just want to put out there to the world.
2: I I did make it, um, leave it up to, yeah, leave it up to me to uh, not be great at making a a website, but we, since then we have improved. (laughs) Actually, one of the big things that happened is, you know, so we had decided we were going to invest a little bit in this, but we thought what was going to happen is we would sell our shirts at like foundation fighting blindness events and on Foundation fighting Blindness of social media. Maybe we do a Facebook fundraiser here and there. We ended up getting very fortunate early on with some publicity, and you know some of the initial traction really helped us from both kind of getting us to mentally decide to run at this as hard as we could, and helped with you know making the decision to finance it, self fund it, and that's kind of how we got started.
0: Amazing. I mean, was it intimidating? Of course. Like fashion, is kind of a like the viper pit, isn't it? Like there's so many brands out there, and going yeah. into that that industry, like how was that?
2: We made a lot of mistakes, which, which I guess is maybe like one of the things we learned is that if you're gonna do something, you really, really have to love it because you just won't put up with all of the nonsense involved with getting something you know new off the ground if you don't love it. So even before you think about it as a business, you got to think about whether or not you would do it regardless if there was a business.
0: Absolutely. And I've, I, there's a lot of like similarities there, especially about podcasting. We had to learn the hard way uh, there's a reason you can't find the first five episodes they don't exist anymore because they went straight <laughs> in the bin because we were they were the dumpster fire they
1: were <laughs>
3: they, they were the dumpster fire. you know one day they'll be incredibly valuable. yeah it'll be that'll be what's special. Yeah.
0: Put them on vinyl and start selling that. So when you first
1: started, was it harder, do you think, having a visual impairment to get these things off the ground? Did you have to have more sort of help from other people? To find out what was good and what was bad?
3: You know, it's a really fascinating question. And Brad and I talk about this that having the vision impairment actually has some pretty great benefits uh, to being an entrepreneur. You know, people generally wouldn't think that because it's a little oxymoronic. But, you know, when you're seven years old or 10 years old and you have to stand up in front of a class to be able to see the chalkboard, you kind of get used to dealing with some of that social pressure. Or when you, know, you have to sh- create your own lane for studying better or finding a workaround or finding a hack so that you can actually kind of exist in the world as it stands today, you get a lot of creativity, you create a lot of resourcefulness. So a lot of those skills play really, really well into entrepreneurship. Uh, and, and so from that aspect, we actually think that being visually impaired was really helpful. And where technology is today, you know, you with the speech to text and text-to-speech and zooming on iPhones and all of the all the amazing tools, you know, as long as something stays digital we can be just as capable as anybody else. But yeah, I, I think that getting I, I think that there's you're never in a bad spot when you're asking for help, it, especially if somebody has more knowledge than you. You know, it almost it almost is a detriment to yourself to not push for getting help because you will just learn so much faster. You'll get through stuff so much quicker and you won't bang your head against the wall and get really upset at your project for something that you're generally not going to be great at.
1: Did you meet any sort of resistance from people that were potentially fully sighted because you were doing things slightly different and they're like, they're going, Oh, that's not the way I would normally do it.
2: Let me think, you know, well, when, when you first started the question, I was thinking when we told our dad that we were starting a clothing brand, he goes, you guys are terrible dressers. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm trying to think, you know, there's a lot of awkward moments, but I think to what Brian was saying and we we really didn't realize this until we were maybe a year or two into Two Blind Brothers, but we fought through those battles when we were in elementary school, in middle school, in high school. You know that moment where someone in the class is relentlessly making fun of you because of your giant, oversized books, or you walk into the wrong bathroom because you think it looked like the, you know the. The stick figure with the dress on, but it was actually the straight stick figure. And so, you know, we 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 had all of those kind of things happen to us. And so, I guess when they popped up from time to time, you know, early in the business, you know, we were kind of battle, you know, battle tested. we we had sort of developed that thick skin. So it's funny; it doesn't really even stand out in a, in a lot of regards. I bet, but it's probably because we fought through a lot of those lessons as kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, amazing. Oh, you mentioned like, overcoming things. Like, I think it's a different perspective when you're visually impaired. You, you have to find those hacks. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose, like, did you find anything more difficult because of the visual impairment with suppliers or the color side of things, or or was it just very much just deal with it as you, you came to it?
3: Well, what we would do is we would just, as we talked about, get advice. Like we just wouldn't sit around and wait if, if, and we had an unbelievable team around us right so we we had some some really extraordinary people that were that that helped us out at the at every at all the jumps you know and so when we couldn't do something well we would go and find somebody who could or somebody from our team would just step up and do an amazing job at it and, and because we probably it actually forced us to be less micromanage with a lot of the work that we did and have more trusted people because we knew that we just couldn't do it as well. If, if court really liked, uh, that was, did a lot of the styling and designing early, you know, didn't like a color then we didn't like that color. And that, and that's just how we had to have faith in people that were talented to do a good job.
2: Yeah. You know, the other thing was, um, we ran into a lot of these issues that you're talking about when we first started our careers. Like, you know, I was working at an investment bank and like, I was just slow at the work because we were, you know, doing, you know, Excel, Microsoft Excel models and things, and just I couldn't see the I couldn't see it as well as other people and was just kind of slow getting the work done. Or you you go to fill out some form or have to translate some piece of paper and it's in uh, like physical format, not digital. And, and now I gotta get, get my magnifiers out and everything like that. So, you know, we struggle with that. The nice part about you know, being an entrepreneur is we could structure our environment in a way that was suited to us. I could have all the big monitors, you know, that I wanted. I could ask for everything to come over digitally. I, I didn't have to use, when I was working at the investment bank, I had to use a Blackberry, which didn't have good accessibility features. Now we have, we're using the iPhone that is like way, way better. I, so some of those things were also part of our sort of early work career.
1: That's pretty good. I mean, as technology has gone on, well, for me anyway, it's made things much easier and accessible in in my particular job, which is cake, basically.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and also Brian and I are in New York City. When you're a
3: baker? That sounds amazing.
1: I'm in the um I wholesale uh baking supplies. I work for mm. like a European supplier of <laughs> cake products, basically. <laughs>
3: That's well, Brian loves cake. So that's... if you could see me, you would I would be obvious.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, the other thing is we were in New York City, you know, I think we kind of leveled the playing field for ourselves a little bit by, you know, moving to a city where if we had a meeting in the city, we could take public transit, you know, we could, you know, walk down the street to get something we needed. You know, we, we didn't rely on driving, for example, to to do what we wanted to do. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And That's why I moved to Nottingham, um, just so it was more accessible because I used to live outside London and just no way of having any decent jobs because there were none and no good transport. And that's when I moved to the Midlands of the UK because now transport's great and now I work for a very big university and it's opportunities that I would never have had. So you're right, like changing your environment or, or being in a good environment can really help you succeed with with anything entrepreneurship or just career
1: to be fair i've mm-hmm. kind of got a,
0: a sort of lead on question from
1: that because i'm going to start asking you about the brand itself to blind brothers but how much how much like new york is in that brand
3: it's very funny it, it was born in new york you know our first our first cut and sew was in the garment district of new york like all of the super new yorky things uh, but when Brad and I first started this business, we had no background in anything. We didn't know how to, we didn't know if a decision was a good decision or a bad decision. We just <laughs> made choices. And what we inevitably did was we just made things that we would ultimately like to wear, you know, what would we love to put on? And at yeah. that time, our first product was a Henley shirt. And which if you ask any major person, you know, any major retailer anybody, they'd be like, well, Henley's. Are a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory, like don't start there. But it was the thing that we most wanted to make because it was the thing we most wanted to wear. And so, you know, as the brand has gotten bigger and our collection has gotten broader, you know, we actually stayed true to kind of that DNA of what would what would we want to put on that would make us happy? What would we want to put on that would make us feel amazing about ourselves? And that's generally our sniff test for everything we make is, you know, is this, is this, are we so proud of this? We don't want to take it off. And so I don't know how much New York uh, influenced that, but I will say I've worn every garment of our clothing out in New York and I have not gotten turned away once, which is a a, a big, a big testament to either the bouncer's relaxedness or how wonderful our clothes are.
0: That's amazing. I suppose sort of leading on from that, do you find now that you're sort of leaning more into the trends because you've sort of learned those lessons, you're getting more entrenched, you've got a great team around you, like you've said, is it still very much like leaning into the, we wear what we want to wear and that's still the design ethos or is it a bit more what's currently hot, you know, what are the good colors this year and all all of that stuff that's in the fashion industry?
2: You know, it's more for us because we don't, we don't compete on trying to be sort of the b- bleeding edge of fashion. What it is for us is listening to the customers. So you know, every, every, you know, we every week we go over kind of these customer service reports. People will write in about things they love, things they didn't like, things, and and you know, you can start to get some insights. You know, and and the brand has expanded into things like this guide dog. Collect. We'd make these stuffed animal guide dogs. It has great overlap with the original brand, but it also is just something that uh, our customers are, are big fans of. And um, and so, it, yeah, it's kind of figuring out. And, and, you know, and you, it's funny, too. Once you kind of get going, you have great data. You know, also every week we look at our return rates. So if you see that the I'm making it up, but like the crew neck you know, women's short sleeve shirt is getting returned more than any other product. We know we have to change that up, you know? So, so it's listening to that customer feedback. In terms of the sort of
1: clothing side at the actual brand itself, where do you think it sort of sits in the market? Do you think there's anyone that is not necessarily competitive, but maybe a peer or something like that? Maybe a brand that is made by someone that's not visually impaired, for example?
3: yeah you know it's interesting we we get asked we get asked you know who are our competitors a lot whenever we're talking to kind of any any sort of larger business folks and and it's interesting because brad and i just believe that in the modern era right where social brand social media can help you find super targeted super niche hyper focused audiences you know you can find the people that care especially when you're smaller entire singularly about your thing. You know, pe- the, we could find the people that care most about vision impairment in the entire world. And that's actually how we kind of just started of finding that audience. And now that we're a bit bigger, you know, as you get larger, you start competing in different, different arenas. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brands out there that are cause driven that, you know, that really pride themselves on doing great work. And they, most of them do really incredible things. And so we do compete a little against other folks that are. Um, that are also kind of give, the kind of give back dollar or the give back shopping. That that's been an area, but we also try and present a, a more novel and a more unique shopping experience, especially with the, the shop line challenge that that really kind of drives a lot of our business.
2: We have a uh, a marketing ad tech company that we're working with who asked us about our competitors, and I always found it like kind of dissatisfying that like we couldn't put our finger on like you know a competitor that for some of the reasons that Brian said. So I actually have the list here that we came up with um, and we sort of divide it up a little bit. I'll just read it quickly. So like Two Blind Brothers as a direct-to-consumer apparel brand, we look at Bombas, Tommy John, Allbirds, Everlane, Lululemon, Cuts, and then for the stuffed animals, Jelly Cat. Two Blind Brothers in regards to our mystery box are Shop Blind, Promotion, bespoke post, Stitch Fix, and, and Trunk Club. Some of these subscription box companies, and then where we, we we drive a lot of sales because people are gifting our stuff. So we picked a couple kind of big gift brands: Harry and David, Uncommon Goods, one eight hundred flowers. And then as a charity, since we give all profits to the Foundation in Fighting Blindness, you know we look at brands like St. Jude's Children's Hospital, Charity Water. Um, and and foundation fighting blindness itself.
1: It sounds like right from the off, that was a massive part of brand values. If you like the yeah, a bit businessy, but you know what I mean, like giving back to the community, almost a pr- as a primary of brand value. This is we're doing this in so that we can give back.
3: Yeah, the, on the first day, it's it's funny we uh, we you know we decided that we were going to give a hundred percent of our profits. You know, not five percent, not ten 10%, percent, but a hundred percent of the profits. Uh, back to retinal research, and that was kind of the one of the core pillars at that time when we were first getting going. And we never thought this project would turn in, turn into anything. It's really easy to give away money that you don't have. It's theoretical dollars in the future, but you know, it's just it was part of the brand when we first started, and it and it's exactly who we are today.
0: I don't want I don't want a rough
1: estimate. The, the reason I'm going to ask this question, it sounds like a bit of a dick question, but when a lot of people say we give 100 percent of profits to charity. I'm not, and again, I'm not inferring that this is you guys, but, you know, it, some charities have like people on inflated salaries and they're using money to grow the business. And then whatever is left over, they count as a profit. And that's what goes to charity. I
0: it's, work for one like that. <laughs> <laughs> I work for a charity that is very much let's overinflate things. So the bare minimum that we pump back into the charity side of the business is as little as it can be, unfortunately.
2: Well, well that's a great here. Quite- well, the, the, so are, so our where we so it's interesting where we give a hundred percent of our profits, they go to the foundation fighting blindness, and you know what's nice is you know those reports are all on Charity Navigator. You can see what their scores are. Brian and I are also very involved with FFB. I mean, it, it's been around for close to, uh, to uh, actually fifty years now, and so it's got that credibility, which is good. But you know, if you've worked in a charity, man, they they sweat those numbers all the time. They want to look like they give ninety nine cents out of every dollar. That's not reality, you know. For, for you know, for the type of work that FFB is doing, because they're trying to pick the right researchers, so they have like research scientists on staff looking at the grants. You know, there's a lot of grassroots community stuff, which is part of, you know, it's it's a fundraising effort for them, but it's also sort of a community effort. So we've been very pleased, especially because being, you know, on the board, I I get a lot of, uh, I can transparently see where they're putting our dollars that we're giving to them. But another thing I want to mention is that what's been really, really fun about the brand is we found these interesting one-off opportunities to make other cuz cher- it's tough. Okay, we give 100% of our profits away. So like what does it mean if we want to help this blind school in New Jersey that we really like? You know, it's sort of weird because we've sort of already accounted for all of our giving, but what we found is we found some like really cool kind of business purposes that end up typically as either like manufacturing partners or marketing partners. So an example is we have our products uh, our our sunglasses specifically made by industries for the blind in Winston Salem North Carolina now that's not a donation we we literally pay them for the sunglasses and they're making margin on that but that's like that's like a home run for us and we can kind of incorporate that into our business and then like another example is with our guide dog collection there's this viral video on the internet called Pip it's an animated film about a guide dog that was produced by Southeastern Guide Dogs for the Blind a guide dog school. So we licensed it from them. So we give $2 of every purchase to them, but it's for the use of that video. So that, that's kind of a nice way we can also do more.
3: And in a, in a shorter, in a shorter answer uh, to date, you know, 2BB has has donated $1.5 million to retinal research
2: uh, in our first
3: kind of six years here. And, uh, and Brad and I actually take minimum wage salaries uh, so that we can be on the health insurance (laughs) so um so we are our our salaries are are sadly not inflated we work minimum hours for minimum wage and give everything else away
0: that's amazing and we're back that's all i've got usually you do that bit well it's bit about 50 50 now remember that song 50 50 yes i do was that lamar it was indeed yeah (laughs) I don't know if it's shout sort of... out to a runner-up of like pop idol or something. He had a song and it was okay. Well, 50-50. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> really,
1: we will <laughs> we will continue this conversation next week.
0: Is it more about business? Hello,
1: <laughs> it is the American
0: way. Yes, it's also the British way. Yes, hope you enjoyed this first part. Quick admin, what's going on in terms of dice heads, hit me up. Still going right. Yes, so dice Strongly. heads would have concluded at this point. But we have some special episodes with the rap party coming up. So if you haven't listened to the entire campaign, go back and listen to it because the rap party will be coming out this week. Alright, till next week, we'll see you then. Say no. Thanks for listening to the Seesaw Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at SeesawPod, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, and YouTube at Seesaw Podcast. You can also email us at seesawpodcast at gmail.com. Like, rate, review, and subscribe. And then you can also find us on TikTok, but get us on all the other places. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience.
1: All right, for those playing along at home with T's amazing game, today's score was six. So congratulations if you got that right. I'm not going to be doing it next week because I'm starting to feel a bit mean.